This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the Deal. deal. Listen to the deal. Listen to the deal on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily. Hello, welcome. I'm Jim Salverson and this is Football Social Daily, the ideal podcast to keep you abreast of everything that's going down in the English top flight because it's the only podcast that brings you not one, but two shows every single day. A full update every morning and a quick fire catch up in the shape of Football Social Daily shots as you make your way home from work. Click subscribe now if you've not done so already and keep yourself in the loop. We're in the middle of a midweek EPL blitz right now and we'll be getting you up to speed on a whole lot of 1-0 wins last night with Liverpool, <laughs> Newcastle United and Manchester United amongst the happier fans. Plus, tonight there's a couple of battles for the bottom taking place with Leicester welcoming Leeds and under fire Aston Villa boss Steven Gerrard facing a tough away trip to Fulham. We'll be looking at those games shortly as well. Plus, as Gareth Southgate prepares to announce his top-secret 55-man squad for the World Cup. Amongst those expecting to be included are Marley Anderson and Niall McCorn, who are also making time for me on today's podcast. How are you doing, lads? I'm all right. Good stuff. Are you all right, Marley? Yeah, doing very good. Just uh, waiting for the call-off of Southgate to be the uh, 30-second choice right back for uh, <laughs> Qatar. So, yeah. <laughs> We'll be talking briefly about that 55-man list later and why it exists amongst everything else. But I'd imagine, given its size, pretty much everyone who's English and who's ever kicked a ball will be included in that squad. So let's get on to last night's games. Four goals across five games. It's not exactly what you call a goal fest, but there were some good games in there. Not least Liverpool's win over West Ham, a 1-0 win for the Reds and a missed penalty for West Ham. Do you think the Hammers will be feeling aggrieved to be leaving Merseyside empty-handed last night, Niall? Definitely. I think when you have a penalty and you miss it, then you need to be feeling a little bit disappointed at the very least that you've not come away with anything. Especially Jared Bowen, who I think has been the shining light for West Ham in the last 18 months. I think, will it be two years in January that he signed for West Ham? So when he first arrived from Hull, I think it took him a few months to get up to speed and we all knew the quality that he had. He was scoring some really impressive goals for Hull City down in the Championship and we know the jump from the Championship to the Premier League is a big one, but... You know, you earn your coin as a Premier League player by operating in those pressure moments. And Jared Bowen has been exceptional for West Ham in the last couple of years, as I say, since he's arrived at the club. But that was a big moment for him last night, particularly with Gareth Southgate watching on from the stands as well. With the England squad, which I'm sure we'll come on to in a second, um, being at the forefront of a lot of people's thinking. And no doubt he will be extra keen to get himself on the plane to Qatar for the World Cup. And... Although I think missing a penalty last night against Liverpool, and it's a good save by Alisson, by the way, we need to give him credit. Uh, although I think missing that penalty isn't going to be the clincher, whether he goes or whether he doesn't go, I don't think that will do his confidence any good. And, um, you know, West Ham, I think when you have a chance from 12 yards in the Premier League against a top opponent like Liverpool, you need to be burying it. And it was a good height for the goalkeeper. 
good save by Allison. And yeah, I think West Ham should be aggrieved that they've not come away with anything. Albeit, you know, you'd expect to turn up to Anfield and it will be difficult for you, as we saw at the weekend against Manchester City. Anfield, especially in a night game, seems to have a different sort of atmosphere to it. And we've seen that um, recently, of course. But yeah, West Ham really should have been going away with more than nothing, I think. West Ham's penalty record is terrible, incidentally, so far this season. Five penalties, three scored, so they've missed two. You had Jared Bowen missing one and Declan Rice missing one. When Mark Noble wasn't on the pitch last season, it was a bit of a problem as well. So there's something to be worked on on the training ground. There was a video doing the rounds as well. I don't know if you saw this, of Virgil van Dijk scuffing up the penalty spot before Jared Bowen took his spot kick. I don't think it actually did, made a did difference. Did that bother you, Jim? Ah, no, I don't think it makes a difference. I was going to say it's... because... Like, he, he scuffed it up, and then Bowen hit it really clean. Oh, it was just a terrible penalty. It. it was just a terrible it's not, penalty. It's not like he ran up and, and the, the... Yeah, it, it didn't give way or anything like that. I mean, you just, know that's a booking if you do scuffing that. scuffing the penalty spot. And it's one of those weird rules in football that people don't know. Yeah, if, if goal... So what you used to see goalkeepers do back in the day, I don't know if you remember, lads, what they used to do is they used to scuff up the lines, like make a little divot so they can almost mm. tear up, you know, goalkeepers yeah, yeah. when they take a goal kick. You can't do that anymore. You get booked oh, really? for doing that. So actually, yeah, it's defined as altering the the pitch basically is the same reason as why you can't pull the corner flag out of the ground and throw it on the floor that's why referees say put it back in that's kind of the way it goes because technically corner flags are part of the playing area and if you scuff up any lines um therefore you get booked for it so Virgil van Dijk by letter of the law had he been caught should have been booked for scuffing the penalty spot up what I thought was really interesting was I think it was a premeditated thing as well because Allison very deliberately distracts the referee whilst Virgil van Dijk goes straight over to the penalty spot and does like his little wiggly foot thing to make a mark so clearly it's something they thought about beforehand (laughs) which is a bit dodgy in itself but I mean like I say it probably didn't impact the actual penalty that was taken you can do the corner flag thing you can do the thing like Niall just said but you can have eight men doing a knee slide in the corner (laughs) and absolutely scuffing the hell out of everyone's ground (laughs) I was impressed with Nunes last night I thought he had a brilliant first half for the Reds he deserved a goal with a first half volley he hit the post and he just looked like a better player all round. Is it too early now, Marley, to say that he's finding his feet in a Liverpool shirt? Does he still need a bit more game time to kind of bed in? Because he still does look raw, despite those flashes of brilliance. Uh, he, he he does, but I, I don't think he's doing too badly, to be honest. I think there's, there's a lot of um, sort of anti-Nunez agenda all over social media when when he does something, like, silly. Um Usually comes from Man City fans, and it's kind of funny because, you know, it's it's just it's light-eyed stuff. But in in Nunes, there is a quality player, and he was he was fantastic last night. I think the uh, the left foot um, strike where which it hit, when it hit the post was was fantastic. He also had another volley from out wide, which Fabianski did really well to save, and then obviously scores his goal as well with a, a mint header, fantastic header from uh, Simakasi's cross from the left. So. He's he's got talent, hundred percent. It's just, I think sometimes with the team you play for um, attracts a bit more stick than than other players in the Premier League, and because Haaland and Nunes keep getting um, clubbed together in the same little bracket because they signed for big money and they signed in the same summer and they signed for the two best teams in the country, it's just one of them where like every time he falls over or he fills a back heel or he, he misses a chance. You know, City fans are going to be all over it, um, and it's all—it's all just a bit light-hearted for me because they're both quality players. There's no real need to compare them, but um, the way football is, that it, it gets everyone gets compared. You know, everybody in every position. You get you see Walker, Trippier, um, and James and Trent all getting compared at right back every every time they they pull on a shirt for the club team, and as in the sort of um, discussion for England and stuff we've seen it with Ronaldo and Messi for the last 12 years it happens with everyone so it's just one of those where yes you will get stick every time you do something slightly wrong I think he was getting stick after the Uruguay training the other week when everyone was bored on international breaks you had City fans watching Uruguay training and saying this guy's rubbish he's an absolute car horse and it just didn't uh, it didn't make any sense but it's just that's social media for you and that kind of pressure um, needs to be kind of uh ignored when you're actually looking at a player and seeing what he can do because he does look a good player and Liverpool look a better play a better team with him in it 
It was great, but the best player on the pitch last night, without a doubt, was Declan Rice. He was at the heart of everything good for the Hammers. Got man of the match despite being on the losing team. He is the best defensive midfielder in the league at the moment. I'm not even going to let it be discussed. Instead, we're going to move on to the single goal that separated Newcastle and Everton. It was 1-0 last night for the Magpies. I think Newcastle might have expected more last night, Marley, against a poor Everton side. Did the latter show any signs of improvement on their current poor form? Uh, Everton didn't, no. Um, they were they were poor, to be honest. Um, they... The, the problem with Everton is there is there is very very little creativity in that team. Um, I was watching them yesterday, and the the stats like the second half stats were were like dominant for them in possession, but all the possession was passing it around the back four, and not having an actual clue how to get it forward. They, they couldn't build anything from the back. It was it wasn't even like it didn't have to be particularly good defending from Newcastle to to keep them out either. It was just. It was like let's just let them pass it round the back, and eventually they'll hammer it up to to Calvert Lewin. We'll win the header. If we don't win the header, we'll win the second ball. We'll get the ball back. It was it was dead easy. But the midfield three of of Idrissa Gay, um, uh, Alex Uwobi, and uh, Andre Onana were they're all like they're all decent players in their own right, but none of them are, are chance makers. Like Onana's. A physical presence, like he, he does, he's he's really good. To be fair, he does look a good player, but he needs someone alongside him who can who can pass it, who can make a killer pass and play a through ball. Then it goes out wide, and you know there's Anthony Gordon and and um, Damari Gray there who just aren't, you know, I mean they're not bad players in their own right, but again, it's like if you if you're relying on them to do something, it's it's just uh, it's a tall ask. But it was. Um, it was pretty simple for Newcastle. I think it would have been more if um, the I think we we haven't played Man United away on on Sunday. Like quite a quick turnaround. It was an unchanged team as well, um, so there was a bit of drop off in the second half. But um, yeah, it was it was fairly straightforward. But the one thing I I couldn't get over last night it, it wound me up so here we much. go was... strap yourself in lads Marley said I'm gonna have a rant about Anthony Gordon <laughs> so here we go oh, here it comes <laughs> man he's honestly the most unlikable detestable <laughs> little player you could ever ever wish to see because he just all he wants to do is go down and win free kicks and get people booked and then if he doesn't get it he gets up and starts on them like he's in, he's one of them guys. If you played him in Sunday League, he'd be in a fight every week. He'd end up getting the the stuffing kicked out of him next to his car in the car park, because he's one of them players. He got like in the game. He got into the box, um, and it was like, oh god, there could be a bit of danger. He could he could whack it uh, across the box. It could go anywhere. He could take a shot. It could sneak in at the near post or anything. But instead, he slowed himself down. He waited for a slight nudge from. I think it was Dan Byrne, um, who, like, slight shoulder to shoulder, flies to the floor, gets nothing, referee's not having it, gets up, Trippier comes over to him and just says, stay on your feet. Next thing, head head right up to him, um, you know, trying to, trying to, like, do that stupid thing footballers do where they try and sort of grind head like bulls. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, or goats or whatever. And he's, I mean, it's easy to lip read, but I want, it might be a tough edit for Niall if I, if I, um, <laughs> if I repeated what he clearly said, but it, it, it doesn't take a lip reading expert to see it. And then Fabian Cher comes in and puts him firmly in his box, but um, by, by just chesting him and he goes absolutely flying. So, but it's one of them where it, it's happening so much now with Anthony Gordon that I, you can't work out how good a player he is because he's so obsessed with with the other side of the game which is which is diving and winding people up if he if he stayed on his feet and got shots away or put crosses in and or dribble past people or whatever created openings for his teammates he would we could decide whether he's like one of these this you know next england talent he was linked with chelsea in the summer for for some reason we said it in the summer didn't we like why how's he worth 40 million what's what's he done I was watching him last night and thinking, is there any glimpse of forty million? And you just you couldn't even get to his his talent because of his his attempted shit It was just always 
I'm going to go down. I'm just going to try and win a free kick, and we might score from the free kick. But if you beat your left back, you're playing against six foot six Dan Byrne. You can probably out sprint him. If you're if you're good enough, just, if the ball goes in behind, just run away from him. He's not that quick. So, but no, like, and now I'm just going to go down. It's like it's absolutely pathetic. And then he gets up and tries to start on people and. You know his teammates don't even come over and help him out because I think they've all got bored of it. And they're all, oh, Anthony's starting on him again. I can't be asked going and getting a yellow card to try and help him out because he's getting himself in this situation. It's bizarre. He's such an unlikable little player, and he needs to mature quickly because it'll it'll um, it'll cloud his his development. Character assassination complete from Marley. He's one of those players I think that if he plays for your team, you love him, but if he isn't on your team. All the opposition fans absolutely hate him. One of the good things for Everton last night, Niall, was Jordan Pickford back in goal after his injury, which is a big plus for club and country. But still, even with that small glimmer of light, Everton now find themselves just a point above the bottom three. How nervous is Frank Lampard going to be at the moment about retaining his job in terms of England midfielders in managerial positions all the pressure appears to be on Steven Gerrard right now but surely it's mounting on Frank Lampard as well yeah I guess but I mean we said something similar didn't we yesterday about Southampton being in the relegation zone and they went and won yesterday which I'm sure we'll come on to and now they're up to 14th and they've gone above Everton because they beat Bournemouth last night and Everton Mm. are only three points behind Bournemouth, they're only one point behind your club, West Ham. So is David Moyes clinging mm. on to his job? I mean, there's a question for you. So it's one of those things where we're at a stage in the season. I think season. he was a few weeks ago, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe he was. But, you know, West Ham with two wins in their last five. So, you know, you have to look at that. But Everton, have, I think they lost three in a row now. So that's, that's of concern, no doubt, for Frank Lampard. I don't think the pressure is on Frank Lampard as much as it is on Steven Gerrard, certainly. I, I mean, Steven Gerrard has been in the job a year, I think. And as we heard from Neil from For the Love of Paul McGrath and Aston Villa podcast earlier this week, he was mentioning about how Steven Gerrard hasn't really learned from any of the mistakes. You know, some of the mistakes and the the problems that were there 20 games into the season uh, or into his tenure, I should say, are still there 40 games into his tenure. Um, I'm not sure we can level the same thing at Frank Lampard. I think Frank Lampard has learned a little bit faster. Uh, I think he's got... Um, certainly the Everton fans on side, I think they're all behind him. I don't think that's the case with Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa. I also saw some footage of Everton's new stadium, which is under construction uh, at Bramley Moor Dock in the city. And looks fantastic, even though it's just a shell at the moment. It's just a construction site. It looks brilliant. And someone walked to the top of one of the, the stands, which is all concrete at the moment. And you can see the Mersey and you can see the, the water in it. It looks incredible. And I guess Everton needs stability. They need stability, both managerially, both in the league. And I think that that is Everton's aim this season. Much as Frank Lampard kept them up last season when it looked like they were going to go down for certain at points last campaign. He kept them up. Massive game. I think, was it a a game they came from behind to win at Goodison Park and there were complete scenes with people running on the pitch and stuff like that. Those are the sorts of results as a manager which earn you time in the bank. I don't think Steven Gerrard at Aston Villa has had one of those results, really. Um, the the result you think of mainly is the one at the end of last season where they were in front against Manchester City and they threw it away. So um, I, I certainly think there are differences between the two managers if, if you're talking about that. But yeah, of course you're going to be concerned. You're a club like Everton, you're 15th in the table, you've lost three in a row and you're only a point above the relegation zone. But there are a number of other teams in similar positions that are just clinging on above the relegation zone. Wolves are in the bottom three now on nine points. Leeds and Villa have also got nine points. So we're talking about here something that's pretty close at the bottom end of the table, yes, concerned because they lost the game last night, but I don't think it's something that's going to cost Lampard his job in the in the short term. You were at Old Trafford last night, Niall, for Manchester United's win versus Spurs, a game that I think a few expected Manchester United to lose, myself included. That's the prediction I made on yesterday's Football Social Daily. It was a 2-0 win for Manchester United. Are we beginning to see a little bit of Ten Hag's identity creep into this United team, as always happens when United win. Social media gets carried away and it's a corner <laughs> turned. And I mean, the amount of corners that Manchester United have turned since Alex Ferguson left the club, I imagine they'll be dizzy for the next hundred years. But does it feel like a moment in time that Ten Hag is starting to imprint on this Manchester United team? 
I think you'll have to say yes from what I saw last night. And I've watched every single Manchester United game under Eric Ten Hag so far. That includes pre-season. And that, for me, is the best performance I've seen from him as a manager of Manchester United. I don't think could have asked for much more than that, really. Apart from the fact that United, as we saw against Ammonia Nicosia, as we saw in glimpses against Newcastle, just can't finish. Marcus Rashford cannot buy a goal at the moment. He's getting into all the right positions. He had Tottenham's defence on toast at times last night. Made some really good openings for himself. Met by a couple of really fine Hugo Lloris saves, you have to say. But he just couldn't find the finish. And that seems to have been the issue for Manchester United in the last few games. But they didn't give up. They pressed excellently. I thought Fred was really good after pretty rubbish displays, in all fairness, against Ammonia Nicosia, in which he came off, I think, just after half-time. And Newcastle United, where he left a fair bit to be desired as well. Maybe Marley can tell you more about that one. But I certainly feel like he was a, a much improved performer. I thought Casemiro was excellent, I think. And if you look at the average positions of the players on the pitch, they were much higher much more engaging in Tottenham's half. And we expect from Tottenham, much like we expect from Manchester United, a side that are willing to soak up a bit of pressure and then counter-attack. United did that against Liverpool and they did that against Arsenal at Old Trafford. They counter-attacked on both teams with Sancho and Rashford and the pace of those players and Anthony as well, of course, and they managed to get the job done. But this was a different game. Like we saw against some of the lesser teams in Europe when they come to Old Trafford, they respect Manchester United and they expect them to have the ball and they say, come on, come and break us down. Tottenham did the exact same thing. They just let Manchester United come onto them and they backed their defence to see out the pressure. And in the end, it was it was too much. I mean, they got a little bit of luck. Fred got a deflected goal. Bruno Fernandes' goal was pretty lucky as well with the way Fred had a shot and it bounced perfectly for him. But I think that there's that saying, isn't there, that you earn your luck and United were full value for the victory last night. I thought they were very, very good. All of the players are impressive. I thought Dallow was excellent. I thought Luke Shaw looked very, very promising as well. So lots to be positive about from a Manchester United perspective. What was interesting for me was what Eric Ten Hag said in his post-match press conference. He said, yes, that was good. Very impressed with the performance, but we need to set a standard at United that good isn't good enough. And I think that's key, especially considering United have got Chelsea away at the weekend. There's no real point in beating a team like Tottenham and gaining ground on those Champions League spots if you can't go and capitalise on that and get a result away at Chelsea as well. United have been pretty good away at Chelsea in recent years, so they'll be hoping for something similar. But all in all, top display from Manchester United. And I don't think that anyone of red persuasion, whether you're impressed with Ten Hag so far or whether you maybe have been expecting a little bit more, you can't deny that that was the best performance under his leadership so far. I'm going to avoid the temptation to talk about Cristiano Ronaldo, who reportedly disappeared down the tunnel before the final whistle yesterday. He's clearly not happy. It seems he's unpopular with the manager and there'll be plenty of time between now and the January transfer window to talk about how that one pans out. But in terms of Spurs, Marley, it was another negative display from Conte. Do you think Tottenham fans are going to tolerate that kind of negative performance if the team start to drop down the league and don't get the results. We saw it with Mourinho to a certain extent. It's fine when you're winning, but when you're not winning, the Tottenham fans expect a little bit more and it's a short journey from negative football to being unpopular. I think it's just the uh, the the way football can go. You know, uh, if you approach a game in the wrong way or, or a slightly more negative way, you know that is something that will stick in fans' heads, but I don't think they should they should read too much into the Man United game. I think um, th- I think the the change for me came in the fact that Kulusevski and Son were both uh, both missing, and I think they had to change their system slightly slightly more and put a um, another centre midfielder in there alongside uh, Bentancur and, and Hoiberg, and uh, that give them a little bit. One one fewer outlet up front to to go and make something, but I think Conte is not adverse to to shutting up shop and trying to grind something out, um, and relying on the talent of Kane and and Son or Richarlison or whoever's up there to to try and get him out of the, um, try and sort of win them the game basically. But it's um it didn't work last night. They were well outplayed. I think Hugo Lloris had the game of his life and uh, ended up uh, you know making. Six, seven fantastic saves. The one for Rashford was was fantastic, um, and yeah, it was just. I don't think they can. They should read too much into it because they're still a quality side, and they'll they'll still win plenty of games this season and be absolutely fine um, in that challenge for for the Champions League. I think so. 
Uh, just move on to the next one, get your players back, and, and we'll see where Spurs are. You know, they've only lost two games all season, so you can't really start saying that, you know, they're, they're not uh, not quite cut out to be a top side. Just quickly before you move on, the one thing that really would have concerned me as a Spurs fan last night is Antonio Conte, who was animated in the first half on the touchline. As soon as United scored, what was it, I think 47 seconds or something, or 1 minute 47 seconds into the second half, and, and got themselves in front, he looked a little bit helpless on the touchline. He looked like he didn't really know what to do or where to go or what to say. And for a top coach like Antonio Conte, I mean, I know you can just wave your arms around and make it look like you're trying to make a difference but he just had his hands in his pockets and which he is lo- pretty good at in general isn't he Conte? Oh, he's very good at waving very his arms good. around and, looking and shouting <laughs> yeah but he just he, he looked like yeah. he knew the game was beyond his team he looked like that listen they're all over us there's no way we're getting back into this and that's what it looked like on his face and his expression in my opinion anyway body language told me quite a lot on the touchline from Antonio Conte and he looked like he didn't really know where to go and in this post-match press conference actually he said in the big games against the big teams, we lack an intensity and we just just can't get a result. And that's something he needs to fix. That's on him as the manager. It's up to him to get the players up for it. So not something you'd expect to hear from Antonio Conte. Clearly disappointed, but in the big games that Tottenham have had this season, I think he mentioned against Arsenal where they got beaten. There was another game this season as well um, against the top six side where they, they couldn't get the job done. So maybe that's a big concern for Spurs moving forward because they're going to need to start winning some of these games against top six teams to get in the Champions League. We'll quickly rattle through the final two games last night. One was Brentford's 0-0 draw with Chelsea, a result that probably flew under the radar a little bit, but there's decent signs for both of these teams at the moment. Graham Potter gives him an un- a seven-game unbeaten run as Chelsea boss, even though maybe they would have expected to win that. And we're seeing a resurgence from players like Kepper, who made some good saves last night, particularly from Ivan Tony and Mason Mounts playing well under Potter as well. And as for Brentford, they'll be delighted with a nil-nil draw against a team like Chelsea, who you, you could argue should be picking up a win against such opposition in a London derby, a kind of London derby anyway. Who do you think will be the happier, Marley, from those two? Um... That's a different question. (laughs) I don't know. What question would you like? Can I I just say, Chelsea, Graham Potter's been the manager there since the 8th of September. A month and a half. Where's that time gone? 8th of September. Feels like he's only been there three weeks. We had the the Queen stuff and the international break on the back of it, didn't we? I think, was that as soon as... As soon as he took over, was that? I think the uh, yeah, you're right. Period where it mm. got suspended, mm. so uh, sorry, postponed, not suspended, but yeah, it's um, he, do, he has been there for longer than you think, but still unbeaten, isn't he? So yeah, good. <laughs> <'Cause>, uh, <laughs> honestly, Jim, the most interesting thing about that, I don't know if you've seen it, was the was the Amazon Prime coverage where they interviewed each other before the game. Um, Thomas Frank got got to ask a question to Graham Potter when he stood next to him, and then Potter got to ask him one back. Um, and Frank asked Potter, he said, um, why do you keep changing formation so much? Um, and Potter said, like, it's not about the formation, it's about how we approach the game and stuff. And then Potter said, oh, crap, I've got to ask you one back now, haven't I? And he said, what's the biggest difference from the Premier League to the Championship to the Premier League? And he was like, it's just way faster and you get punished more. And it was really interesting to see two managers actually talk to each other mm. and, like in depth because there's only so much Gianfranco Zola alongside them can can guess and ask. Um, but it was interesting. It's a, it's a good good little uh, feature. I've got to say, I really enjoyed Amazon's coverage in general of the Premier League last night. The game I watched, which was obviously Liverpool-West Ham, had Ali McCoyst on co-commentary, and he is my favourite co-commentator to listen to. I think he's just superb. He's one of the few that remain positive for an entire game and very rarely negative, even if the commentary was still Liverpool bias, I felt. But that's just how everything is really, isn't it, at the moment? Uh, Let's move. I mean, the fact that there wasn't a lot to say about Brentford versus Chelsea and it came late on in our reviews of last night games probably doesn't say much about the South Coast derby, Niall, between Bournemouth and Southampton as well. A really important win for the Saints. Does that ease the pressure on Ralph Hausenhutl? First of all, it's not a South Coast derby. <laughs> it's as much a South Coast derby as Brentford versus Chelsea is a London derby. Yeah, I mean, it's it's one of those games where they're two teams in close proximity to each other. But traditionally, Bournemouth have been a, 
a lower league club and I think that just shows where they've come from really so I think you need to respect Bournemouth for, for where they've come from um, but big win big win for Ralph Hasenhurtle away from home 1-0 victory um, and the first defeat for Gary O'Neill is the interim Bournemouth boss or is he caretaker what is he now I don't think anyone really knows uh, I think he's still caretaker at the moment but he's doing a decent job of getting the job full-time isn't he it's one of those things where i think the bookies have a rule don't they if someone's in charge for 10 games or more whether they're caretaker or not they officially get de facto made the permanent manager and so therefore any bets for the next manager are, are completely voided um so yeah i mean it looks like we're getting to that territory with with gary o'neill and they weren't blown away bournemouth it was a uh, it was a bit of a cagey game and they'll be disappointed. I thought Bournemouth started the game pretty brightly. Um, I actually uh, managed to catch the first few minutes of this one and I thought Bournemouth started the brighter. And uh, and then Southampton kind of went up the other end and uh, put a ball into the box with Che Adams, who, you know, is probably their best player, I think. And we spoke about him. Did we speak about him yesterday saying he's not someone that you kind of rely on for for significant numbers of goals and it took him a while to get going for Southampton in the Premier League but I think he's their best player at the moment anyway um, won the ball back to start the move moved it from right to left came in from the left side and it was a really good header left the goalkeeper with no chance really uh, of saving it and that was the difference between the two teams and you know we mentioned that Ralph Hasenhurtl could be on the brink I googled Ralph Hasenhurtl job or Ralph Hasenhurtl sack or whatever it was and the reports claiming that he's on the brink of losing his job were from the 2nd and 3rd of October so 17 days ago now so we're getting on for three weeks it's been two and a half weeks since those reports came out and he's still in a job there he is and normally when these reports come out that a manager's on the brink of the sack within one or two days they do lose their job hasn't been the case with Southampton um, there are managers out there that are available that could possibly come in but it feels to me like the players do like Hasenhurtl and they do respect him and they are a young group and they're trying to get themselves together. And uh, as you mentioned yesterday, Jim, what's the best they could really expect with what they've got? I mean, they're a club who have never really won anything in their history. They, they've, they've only ever been a Premier League side in the bottom half of the table. And that's kind of what they survive for. That's that is Southampton in a nutshell. They're just there to be in the Premier League. And I hate to say make up the numbers aside from a little flirt with Europe a few years ago where they had a, a decent side under Pochettino. They've not really done anything since. They're more famous for getting beat 9-0 twice. And unfortunately for Southampton, that's just the way it is for them. It's one of those things. It's like a bit like Crystal Palace. You know, Crystal Palace have never won a major trophy. They're just kind of famous for being a Premier League team. Mm. And that's about it. So unfortunately for them, that's the way it goes. Whether that results in Haas and Hurtle losing his job or not in the next few weeks remains to be seen. But important win for them regardless. I mean, the expectation is really important there, isn't it? And just because the media thinks Hassan Hootl should be doing better doesn't mean the board do. And I think you sum it up when you say Shea Evans is their, be Shea Evans is their, is their best player. Or Shea Adams, rather, is their best player. It's like, how much can you achieve with all due respect to Shea Adams? But if he's your shining light, what, what are your expectations as a team? We're going to move on to tonight's previews next because Fulham versus Villa and Leicester versus Leeds are the final games of the midweek Premier League action. We'll get onto it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. 
Welcome back. Let's do the previews for tonight's Premier League games. And in all, they are games that impact the bottom of the table rather than the top, starting at Fulham versus Aston Villa. We talked about it on yesterday's pod. We've already mentioned it on today's pod, but it seems the pressure on Steven Gerrard is intensifying day on day at the moment. Does it feel like a defeat tonight, Marley? Could be Steven Gerrard getting his P45 Yeah, it could be. I think it's uh, it's a very big game for uh, for Villa. Um, it's you know it's a way at Fulham. You know Fulham have have sort of been up and down. I think um, I think they were in a bit of a false position when they were sort of sixth or something in the league after a few games. But um, yeah, they're, they're always a, a decent test, um, especially for Villa who haven't you know don't look like going and winning games at the minute. Um, but yeah, we could. To be fair, we could see two seconds tomorrow because if if Villa lose tonight, um, I think they'll be seriously thinking about Gerard. If well, the rumours have it they are it already. But you know, it should it could be the final nail in the coffin for him tonight if they lose to Villa. Um, and then if Leeds beat Leicester, I think Rodgers could be could be off as well. So um, yeah, you're looking at, at tonight as a. They don't look the most appetising games to go and watch on on paper, but. Um, yeah, there could be big fallout from them because the pair of them are hanging on to the jobs at the minute and they both need wins. So whoever gets one, it, it'll be huge for them. But Gerard is is uh, seeming to be fighting a losing battle at the minute. We spoke to Neil yesterday and he, he said he was confused about how um, how Gerard's tactics seem to... How, how he sees them playing out. He doesn't get the, the plan. Um, he's been in the job a long time for for fans to be still wondering what the plan is. So I think a, a defeat to Fulham could be could be catastrophic for him, to be honest. I think the, you get decent odds on a Steven Gerrard slash Liz Truss job swap at the moment. Both equal levels of competency in their current positions. It can't do any harm to kind of see him swap over for a I think that's harsh on bit. Steven Gerrard, to be honest, Jim. <laughs> yeah, they probably yeah, do a be better fair, job than each other in each other's jobs if they did swap. If half of Stephen Gerrard's Villa team walk out mid-game today, then maybe they're on an equal par. But we'll have to wait and see what happens. As for Fulham, Niall, they find themselves in twelfth. They find themselves in twelfth at this stage in the league, and we can be saying it's early days. It is early days, but Fulham and the fans are going to be fairly happy with how the season's shaping up so far. Yeah, very happy, as you say. Twelfth after ten games, twelve points. I mean. Couldn't really ask for much more than that. Obviously, they've only won one of their last five games, but they've got a really good opportunity to put that right against Aston Villa. Um, 2 2 draw with Bournemouth last time out. They would have expected to maybe get one over their former championship opponents. They lost to your boys, West Ham. 3-1 they got smashed by Newcastle 4-1 um, and then the the victory they did get was over Nottingham Forest 3-2 um, in those last five games I mean some of the other teams they've played include Tottenham and stuff like that so you know three wins three draws four defeats at the start of the season I think most Fulham fans would have been pretty happy with that 12 points on the board and you know maybe when you look at it on face value the the downfall of not the downfall, but the shortcomings of some of the other sides in the Premier League. You know, nobody would have expected Leicester, Wolves, Villa, uh, you know, those sorts of teams to be in and around the relegation zone. So maybe that has kind of helped Fulham's cause a little bit. When you look at the table here, Bournemouth 11th, Fulham 12th. Um, I still don't think it's um, out of the question that they both get sucked into the relegation pictures, particularly with West Ham underneath them. And as I mentioned, clubs like Leicester, who I think will probably get themselves out of it, despite the fact they are four points back at the moment from safety. But yeah, really happy. Um, and Marco Silva it was interesting listening to him. I had a little listen to his press conference ahead of this game against Aston Villa. And he was asked about Steven Gerrard and Steven Gerrard's future. And he just said, no, manager's... We always have high and low moments, but, you know, it's a privilege to be in, in the job. And I think he feels like he's really getting a good crack at the Premier League now because obviously he did it with Hull City. He did it with Everton. He's been sacked a couple of times. And was there another club in the meantime as well that I might have forgotten? Anyway, he's he's back in the top flight with Fulham and clearly he's a good coach. He's got credentials, but for whatever reason at the clubs he's been at previously, it hasn't quite worked out. I mean, that pursuit 
by Everton to get Marco Silva was ridiculous. I think they wanted him for like two years. Eventually they got him and it didn't work. So, you know, you look at the way things have gone for Fulham. They're a team that have flitted between the Championship and the Premier League, um, but they've given themselves a really good platform, particularly if they can go into the World Cup in a pretty neutral position, 12th in the Premier League, even though that they're only three points above the drop zone, it is more comfortable on the eye than maybe if they were five points below where Aston Villa Aston Villa are for instance in 17th so um, yeah I think that they should be really impressed and really pleased with their start to the season How much of it's down to Mitrovic who seems to be getting it right in the Premier League finally after what this is his third attempt I think isn't it to <laughs> play in the Premier League with Fulham and he seems to actually have actually have worked out what he's doing now yeah definitely I mean Marley will probably be able to tell you better but um, he scored a load of goals for Newcastle in the Championship few years back and then when he came to the Premier League I don't know whether it's fair that he just wasn't up to the level or whether he wasn't given the opportunity um, the chances weren't there being created for him I'm not sure really with it when it comes to Alexander Mitrovic but it's kind of he's been described along with actually Dwight Gale as someone who's kind of in between uh, levels you know he's probably a bit too good for the championship not quite good enough for the Premier League Tiamo Puki is another player at Norwich who's one of those who kind of gets gets labelled as that so um, he should be really happy with the way things have gone um, so far, Alexander Mitrovic. I don't think you score 40 goals in a championship season and then not have the confidence to to at least replicate some sort of form in the Premier League. So I think we always knew that he was a, a, a really good striker. I think the problem that they've had with him is just keeping him fit. And I think he's had sort of issues with injury in the last few weeks. I think he's available again now. Um, but yeah, I think that you, you have to look at the goals he's scored and the results that Fulham have had and say that he is critical to to the way things have gone at Fulham and maybe that's something they need to address in the January window try and reinforce their squad and, and not rely too much on one player like as I say if he gets injured then that could cause problems Instantly tonight in that game Ashley Young will make his 400th Premier League appearance it makes him the second oldest player to reach the milestone of 400 games either of you know who the oldest is? Uh, got to be a goalkeeper, isn't it? Like Mark Schwarzer or someone like that? Uh, don't know. Giggs? Teddy Sheringham. Oh, I knew it was for Portsmouth as well, was it? Proper legend, yeah. Yeah, he would have been at Portsmouth at the time. Uh, let's move on to Leicester versus Leeds United for Leicester. This is exactly the type of game that the Foxes need to win if they have any chances of staying up, Marley. You've already said that it could be curtains for Brendan Rodgers if they do lose, but, I mean, for many, many reasons. this It's not quite a six-pointer, but it's certainly an essential three-pointer for Leicester City. Yeah, it's massive. Um, Leicester have obviously been been poor this season but I think the the last few weeks there's been there's been games against teams that have been in and around them they started off that little run with with hammering Nottingham Forest which was like had to be a turning point for them but since then it hasn't really um hasn't really kicked on from there I think they they uh they lost at the weekend which was a pretty uh pretty poor performance Uh, sorry they drew with Palace didn't they but they lost to Bournemouth before that um and that was uh that was a bit of a a kick in the teeth, like I say, but it's it's one of them where they've got to get wins from somewhere, and I I feel like as if it doesn't if they don't win tonight, I just think you know you're at home to Leeds, they're they're around you. Teams, most teams in the league are going to be coming to you in the next few weeks, and they're probably going to be better equipped than Leeds. They're probably going to be tougher games for you. So if you're not winning them, I, I feel like it's it's the end of the road for him. Um, for Rodgers, I'm, I'm afraid, I'd, I've said before, I do like him as a manager, but I don't think he can survive losing it home to Leeds, who are only, you know, how many points ahead in the table? Like four points ahead in the table and, and three three or four places. So it's um, it does feel like his last chance tonight. And to be honest, I, I can't see them winning. I can see them being a draw at best. I think the way Leicester played at the weekend, you know, Crystal Palace game was... It was pretty dull to be honest, but the the game before that against Brentford, they were they were pretty poor as well, and uh, against Bournemouth, sorry, they were yeah. pretty poor. That was lost, huge. Lost that. to that, and yeah, that was. I mean, to, they were they were ahead after ten minutes, Marley, and then they conceded two goals in three minutes and lost two one. I mean, that was yeah. that's a crippling blow because the game before that they had absolutely destroyed Nottingham Forest four nil, and everyone was like, right, here we go, Leicester are finally finding it, and then to be in in front against. Bournemouth and then to throw it away uh, that was real damaging one yeah and it, it could be bigger than that as well because you know if if Leicester 
don't turn this season around one way or another, they've got some big assets that will that will leave the club. James Madison, Harvey Barnes, Yuri Tielemans, they they'll all go and Leicester could be in a in a real serious situation come the end of the season because players won't want to stay there because you know, a few few years ago Leicester were like the best of the rest. Um finishing in the Europa League a couple of times, uh in the conference league last season I think they think it was. Um, and it was kind of like they had that platform from which to sort of get crash that top six. But if they have a, a season like that, uh, like like this season, and, and they they stink the place out and finish fourteenth, fifteenth, those players are going to leave because it would take more than a few years to get them back to to that best of the rest um, and and even further. So players will start looking at the, at the situation and saying. Well, I've got bigger ambitions than scrapping around in the bottom half with Leicester. Madison was linked with, and Barnes were both linked with Newcastle in the summer. Would they be looking at that and saying, well, Newcastle are sixth in the league. They're where Leicester were, but they've got money to, to push on more. And can they go and, can I go there and, and further my career? Because it's, it's looking like a, a step up now. The odds on a Leicester City victory are going to be impinged slightly by the amount of absentees from Brendan Rodgers' team tonight. Johnny Evans is missing, Siunchu's missing, Pereira, Wilfred and Diddy, Ryan Bertrand, all out with various injuries, and James Madison missing as well. He's collected five mm-hmm. yellow cards. I mean, that's a real blow for Leicester City, isn't it now? Yeah, he's been their best player. No doubt about it. Over the last year, he's easily been their best player. And what was fascinating is actually... Um, up until this point last season, he hadn't registered a single goal or assist and everyone was saying, oh, Madison's lost it, he's, he's not the player he once was. And then after this point last season, mid-October, he then very quickly became Leicester's top goal scorer and top assist maker um, in a very short space of time. And you know all of his goal involvements really were, were crucial to helping Leicester uh, achieve what they wanted to achieve last season. They finished in the top half of the table last year, Leicester, which I think is easy to forget because they were mid-table for a long period. They stuttered a little bit. They obviously got to the Europa Conference League semi-finals. James Madison crucial in all of those achievements for Leicester City and I mean you'd argue if it wasn't for him it'd probably be worse for them this season with where they are it's hard to imagine them being much worse off on five points and in the relegation zone but without Madison could have been a lot worse so you know in terms of the players you listed there that are missing with injury Evans is obviously a miss but Suyunshu doesn't get a look in anymore Bertrand hasn't played for ages Uh, Pereira's a long-term injury problem so they're, they're all players that Leicester have had to deal with having not having available for one reason or another anyway but losing Madison is is a real blow um I think part of the the problems that Leicester have had as well Jamie Vardy signed a new two-year contract at the end of last season or earlier on this season I should say hasn't really worked out for him at all this season I don't think he's got a Premier League goal this season Jamie Vardy so you know he he's just maybe um lost his way a little bit and he's had goal droughts in the past Jamie Vardy and then when he comes back he tends to score in chains of goals so Leicester will be hoping for something similar if that does become the case and he and he manages to score his first but losing Madison is critical for Leicester City and it's about stepping up now it's about the others stepping up Harvey Barnes as Marley said I think is a very good player a very talented player Yuri Tielemans hasn't been the same player since he was linked with Arsenal a couple of years ago and it just hasn't quite he hasn't quite hit the same level since, in my opinion, probably since he scored that banging goal in the FA Cup final to, to beat Chelsea. I don't think he's quite been at the level since then. Um, so, yeah, I think that there are serious issues with Leicester, uh, particularly missing Madison is is going to be massive tonight. And they just need to hope and cross their fingers that they can get the job done without him because he has been that important. Better news for Leeds United. Patrick Bamford back from his long-term injury. He was maybe in the starting lineup tonight. Came on as a sub at the weekend, although he did miss a penalty when he did come on as a sub. Impressed apart from the penalty miss. That's going to be a positive for Jesse Marsh, who's, I think... I was thinking about this earlier. I think Jesse Marsh has done a good job at Leeds. Many predicted he was going to come in and it was going to be a bit of a disaster following Bielsa, but he seems to have done all right. Do they deserve more than the nine points they've currently got, Marley? Because they seem to be playing well and they seem to be playing with intensity, but they don't seem to be maybe picking up some of the wins they deserve. Yeah, I think with them... Um, yeah, Leeds, Leeds seem like they're higher, don't they? Because they've, they've, they've done all right this season, but then you look at the mm. table... And we go into this game in 16th. Um, and if they lose to Leicester, they'll be one point above Leicester. 
um, with you know a, a few teams down there, Villa Wolves and Forest all down there as well. So um, having said that, a win can take them all the way up to up to twelfth. So that's more about where their their level of performance they seem to be. But I think Marsh has, has overseen a big um, a big change in the squad. Um, a lot of new players coming in, and I think that needed to be done because the the squad under Bielsa even was was very very thin, um, and they were pretty much ran into the ground from from the uh, the way Bielsa would would approach games. So there was they always had to be that uptake by the players. I think it was always going to be whether the players will get over the the loss of Bielsa and be willing to adapt the system to to a new manager coming in who's never been in the Premier League before. Sometimes. Sometimes managers just don't get the respect and they get off on the wrong foot and they fight in a losing battle from day one. But I think Marsh hasn't done that. I think um, Leeds are different, but but at least at least as good, maybe as, as as they were under Bielsa. Certainly better than they were last season. But it's one of those where you've got to get the results, even though you're playing well to people who are looking in from the outside. You've got to get the results to to back that up and. Uh, tonight's a perfect chance um, against against Leicester to to extend their misery and and get yourself up the table a little bit more and um, and have people worrying over Rodgers rather than asking the question what is what has Jesse Marsh done to improve Leeds United because the the proof is always going to be in the pudding. Well, those two games are the final games of the midweek Premier League action. There's a few midweek games coming up over the next couple of months as we head into the World Cup but it all starts again on Saturday at 12.30 and we'll be previewing those Saturday games on the dugout on Saturday morning. Make Do you know sure you... one game we haven't talked about Jim and what? we're not going to because we haven't got time but Arsenal in the in the uh, Europa League tonight. Are they playing in the Europa League yep. tonight? Oh, How random. That's why they're not playing against Man City because they've got PSV and they've got one Ruud van Nistelrooy wow, to take so on who's random. the PSV manager and obviously they've had a few spats old Ruud in uh, Arsenal over the years so that should I be a fun watch. I miss that. It's impossible to keep tabs on everything at the moment but as you say we haven't got time so we're not going to. We might talk about it on tomorrow's podcast if the result is of interest but we are going to talk about England next the preliminary the preliminary <laughs> The uh, temporary, the we temporary squad, <laughs> the, the first squad. The long list. Yeah, the one with 55 people on. We'll talk about it next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Football's Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back. Final bit of today's Football Social Daily. A quick look at the 55-man provisional squad that's going to be announced ahead of the World Cup, which is creeping closer. Gareth Southgate set to name that later today. It'll be submitted to FIFA, but it won't be made public. We'll never know who's going to be on the 55-man long list. But we can speculate who is going to be one of the more wild card options that could be towards the end of the list, kind of 54, 55th man to make that big, long list of names that Gareth Southgate's got. I want one name from each of you. So, no, go on, you can go first. Who's your number 55? Uh, Ricky Gervais. Um, <laughs> you know, to be fair, there could be a number of people. Um, well, Eberé Eze from Crystal Palace yeah. is going to be in the 55-man in the squad. So, I guess that's enough of a wild card to be released in the press. So, um, so yeah, maybe him. I mean, we're going to see all sorts of players, aren't we? And 
55. I mean, why so many? 55 players is madness. I mean, you could name more than two squads. Well, do you know what's interesting for me? Are they all going to be Premier League players? Or are we going to see not. a champ are we going to see a championship player thrown in there? You got to see a few championship goalkeepers and stuff, haven't you? Mm, you'd imagine so. You think about it. You'd imagine so. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, maybe um Ibira Eze is the is is the best shout. I mean, Harvey Barnes, I'd quite like him to be in there, as Marley says. Um Leicester have been rubbish this year, but I do think he deserves it. So um we'll see we'll see what he says um with his 55 man squad but yeah um it's hard to think of any wild cards it's just such a mad number (laughs) well we might not see it yeah well i reckon i can predict what marley's gonna say because he's had a good season i bet you can't the england don't look particularly strong at the back in central defensive positions what about dan Byrne? Oh, Marley. do you think I'm going to say Dan Byrne? Right. No, I was going to say uh, Paul Gascoigne, actually. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, he's just turned up at Downing Street with a fishing rod and a bag of chicken, <laughs> but uh, he's off He's off to uh, Qatar in a few weeks anyway. So. No, um, I mean, if it's if, if, if it's 55 people, you would you would probably hope Dan Byrne would get in that 55, but he's not, he's not going to go to the World Cup, I'm, I'm afraid. I don't think um, he's done really well for us, but... He's not the type of player I, I can see getting in. You know, he's never been near a squad other than Newcastle fans asking for him to be in it. Um, in, in Southgate's opinion, he's Southgate's got his centre backs and he will stick with them. And the, for that reason, that that when the list gets um, whittled down to twenty three or twenty five, it will be the likes of Mings and Maguire rather than Smalling and and. Uh, mm. Players that are in form, um, Lewis Dunk, for example, probably won't go. Probably will make the long list, but probably won't go. Um, so yeah, I mean, fi- fuck, I don't even, if, even think I can name fifty-five English players. Chris Smalling, in, get him in, in the there. He's been good for Roma. Get him in there. Oh, um, oh, there's, oh there's a parrot. <laughs> yeah, get him in there. <laughs> I, just, I just said Smalling. Well, get him in there. Get him yeah. in there again. Yeah, I, think right. I, think, I think Chris Smalling should be in the 55-man squad. I think that's a good shout. No one said it before, He'd so I thought good. I'd offer get it Mike as a suggestion. Get Mike Smalling in as well. Get Van Gaal in charge. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> 55 is a lot. I mean, imagine being the 56th man who didn't quite make the list. But 55 is a fair few players, as you say, Niall. Not every manager but, uh, going I mean, into the World Cup has to name 55, by the way. You don't have to name 55. Someone names squads that are around 35. But the, I, yeah, I, I mean, the, but... Uh, Luke Shaw, not Luke Shaw. What's his name? Um, the injured uh, Kyle Walker's going to be in mm. it, and Reese James is going to be in it. Well, that's why he's injured. But that's so why he's naming point? fifty-five. That's why at this stage he's naming fifty-five because he, if oh, those Dean players Ashton's then go on to make it, <laughs> yeah. if those players <laughs> yeah. go on to make a miraculous recovery, I mean, then potentially they'll be included. And Kyle Walker was saying the other day that he feels fit and he thinks there's a chance he might make the World Cup, which I think I guess gives Southgate quite a difficult decision because. If Carl Walker, who's been so important for England, is fittish for the World Cup, maybe he's going to miss the first game. Maybe he's going to miss the group stages. We've seen this so many times with England. Then it takes him a while to get fit. If he's partially fit, does Southgate still take him? Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's what's being said. And we're going to talk about this in a bit more detail on the dugout later on this week. But, um, you know, it was said that they're going to give Kyle Walker every possible chance to prove his fitness, even if he doesn't play any games before the World Cup for Manchester City. He's probably going to be taken if he's available to play. And we saw something similar happen with Harry Maguire ahead of the Euros for, you know, his injury kept him out of matches for Manchester United for a while. He actually missed, I think, the Europa League final for Manchester United and ended up coming back in and playing his first games after injury for England in the Euros and was very, very good. So um, it's not something that Southgate hasn't done before. So people screaming, saying, oh, it's a risk, it's stupid. He actually did the same thing with Maguire and Maguire performed exceptionally well. Um, Calvin Phillips is injured. I don't think he's Mm. going to make the World Cup. He's probably going to make the squad. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is probably going to be in this 55-man squad. Played his first start of the season last night for Everton against Newcastle United. Um, he's not going to go to Qatar, is he? Let's face it, he's not played enough matches. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's interesting because you've got players like Jesse Lingard, who kind of felt like he was getting back on the periphery and then decided he was going to waste another 18 months of his career. So, yeah, it's um, it's, it's a tough one to know. I mean, with with the Kyle Walker thing, I think we will see him included and we'll probably see him go to Qatar I think but you know there are a number of players here that might be named in the 55 man squad that are going to make people raise their eyebrows Jesse Lingard might be one of them Deli Ali might be one of them so you know you have to you have to think 
of who has been in Gareth Southgate's thinking in the past, even if they're playing rubbish at the moment with that many names to choose from, you think that they'll probably end up being in there anyway. We're not going to learn a great deal, not least because the list isn't made public. We might get a few leaked to the press and it's likely to be those more unusual names that are leaked. We do find out more when the final deadline for squad submission comes in. That is November the 13th, seven days before the opening game of the World Cup. So just under a month till we find out who Gareth Southgate is taking for sure. And obviously until Gareth Southgate has to make those final decisions as well. That is it for today's Football Social Daily. You can keep abreast of the weekend action. And as Niall says, a bit of England chat too on the dugout. That'll be out on Saturday morning. And we'll be back tomorrow with Football Social Daily. No doubt looking at that Arsenal game that we all forgot about. We'll see you then. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.